17. The Gospel of John. Chapter 17. It's in the New Testament, right? Just making sure I'm on the right one. <clears throat> Yeah, go ahead and turn your phones on, on buzz, so I don't get distracted. Or if your phone rings, I think I'll answer for you. How's that? <laughs> Say, hello, who's this? I remember one time a preacher was, um, he had his phone on, on him, and he had it on on purpose because it was an emergency phone when people needed, well, it was just an emergency phone. Well, his son called him. And he answered the phone. Um, I don't know if he didn't have caller ID or what. This is back a while ago. And he said, uh, and he was, and the guy happened to be preaching. He was preaching a message. His phone goes off. He says, excuse me, I need to take this. And he says, hello. And he says, hey, dad, what you doing? And he said, uh, I'm preaching right now. No, come on, dad, for real, what you doing? He said, seriously, I'm preaching. He says, no, quit fooling around, dad. What are you doing? He said, hold on a second. He said, everybody say hi to my son. And then he told him, he said, hi, so-and-so. And he's like, I'll call you back later, Dad. And he clicked and hangs up the phone. So I'm just waiting for the day for that to happen. Get a phone call from Joseph or Trey or Bryant. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Because you are always good, Father, every day. And we thank you that we get to experience your goodness, your loving kindness, your mercy. But we thank you that you didn't only save us, but you adopted us made us family, drew us close to yourself. You've taken on a responsibility to take care of our needs, to take care of us, to change us. And we're just grateful for that. And Lord, we thank you that you've called us into your body. You've called us with a wonderful and a great purpose. And our desire is to fulfill your purpose, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would teach us, challenge us, convict us. Our hearts are open to receive what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today. And, Lord, we receive your grace to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. So we thank you for today. We bless you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 17. And I have a question for you to be thinking about. And I appreciate one of the songs that we sang this morning, a cappella, you know, the blood of Jesus. Isn't that a cool song? That's an awesome song, the blood of Jesus. And the question I have, if you could place a value or a dollar amount on the blood of Jesus, how valuable is his blood? Think so? Worth more than a couple million? All right, so you're saying you believe the blood of Jesus is priceless. Do you really believe that? Amen. Or is it just lip service? You really believe it? Yes. Okay. Now, you know I'm setting you up, right? Yep. I mean, you know me, so keep that in mind. But it's not a bad setup. It's a good setup. All right, John chapter 17. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the, uh, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Verse seven. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the works, the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given to me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That that they all may be one as you, Father, in me, as you... Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And we've been talking for the last few weeks about... A culture of honor that we believe God wants to establish in this place. And that basically means a a relational environment. An area, environment where relationships can be established and be strengthened and be strong. Guys, remember that? And we can see right here why that's important. His prayer... Now, if your desire is to walk in the will of God, so you know what? I want, know, I want to know God's will and I want to walk in it. Where he explains it right here. And he says in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? Who's that talking about? Exactly. Us. Because we believe in Jesus through the word of the apostles. 
to their written testimony in the, in the scriptures that we have. So he's not just praying for his original 12 or 11, 12 minus 1. He's not just praying for them originally, the original 12, but also us as well. And he says he's praying that they, verse 21, that they all may be one as the Father and me. So in other words, he wants us to be one, experience a unity, just like Jesus and the Father. It's like, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, he says that he's given us his glory. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So in other words, Jesus is praying this prayer. He's praying to the Father. Of course, Jesus knew the heart of the Father. He expressed the Father's heart through his whole life. Everything he did, the miracles he did, the healings, the just loving people. Restoring them, delivering them. He was expressing the heart of God. It's exactly what he was doing. He says, I only do the things I see my father doing. That's all I do. And so whatever we see Jesus doing in the New Testament, that's what the father's heart being expressed. So when Jesus is praying this prayer, he knows it's the heart of God. That we be one. Us be one. Like The father and Jesus were one. And he says, so that the world will know that you sent me. And in one place, I don't know where it is in here. He says, so that the world will believe that you sent me. And the Greek word means to continue to believe. So it's not just a a, a head knowledge or um, just an agreement, but basically so that people will become saved. They'll realize that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's God's savior that God sent to us. So the key, remember Jesus also said, by this will, the, will, by this will men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Amen. Remember that? John chapter 13. And so right here, Jesus is praying this prayer, and he's saying that they may be one. So how can we be one outside of relationship? Can't. We can't be. Thank you, Teresa. We can't be. So the point I'm trying to bring home here. Is that relationship with us is the will of God. So if you want to do God's will, if you're saying, God, I submit to your will. Earlier we're talking about God being our king, him being our Lord. I want to do your will. And if you're, if you're wanting to submit to his will, then that means you are willing and, and intentionally submitting to relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. You with me? So that means that's not optional. It's not an option if you're wanting to follow the will of God. Now, of course, you have free choice. So in that sense, it's optional. You can do it or not do it. You can be obedient or not obedient. But as far as I'm committed to the will of God, I'm committed to honoring him. So relationship with my brothers and sisters is not optional in that sense. Are you with me? All right. And so the things we've been talking about. So this thing about a culture of honor, a relational environment. That's what God wants to do. And of course, we can say he wants to do that everywhere. He, can do that. he wants to do that in any church because he wants his body to come together so that the world will know that Jesus is who he is. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the savior. So what can we do to cooperate with that, to move that, to move things in God's in the direction God wants? And we talked about how to to develop a relational environment. We talked about that last week. So you can listen to last week's um, sermon on the Internet. Today, I want to talk about some hindrances. What will hinder or stop or keep us, keep me and you from 
moving into developing or allowing God to develop a culture of honor here. Because you, I mean, you can be assured that it's not going to happen naturally. It's not going to happen just instantly, right? There's going to be resistance. And the devil will definitely do his part. And he will continue to do his part in, in keeping us from coming together. We'll talk about that later. But there are some things we can't blame at all on the devil. Because we all have our part to play too, right? And we do have to resist him. And all that kind of thing. But we have to figure out what's going to keep me, what's going to hinder me from moving forward in relationship with my brothers and sisters. And the first one is not spending regular time with the Lord. In John chapter 15, Jesus says he talks about abiding in him and his word abiding in us. He says, abide in me and let my word abide in you. Then whatever you wish shall be done for you. And he also says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not a zero. You can't do anything. We can't do anything apart from Jesus. So if we, if we do not abide in him, fellowship with him, commune with him, rest in him, relate to him. All those words that you can think of. If we do not, if I do not abide in him, I can do nothing. Now, of course, does that mean that I can't make me breakfast in the morning? If I don't spend time with Jesus, I can't make me some waffles or I can't put my clothes on or I can't take a shower. Is that what he's talking about? No. Anything of kingdom value. You okay? Just making sure. She's going to get me later for that. It's all right. So anything of kingdom value we cannot do apart from Jesus. Now, I know this, this is cliche, it's generic and all that. We know we need to spend time with the Lord. But I can guarantee you this. If we as individuals do not spend time with him, if we do not make it a regular, I'm not talking about a religious ritual, but I'm talking about a regular lifestyle habit of spending time with the Lord. Abiding in him. If we do not do that, there's no way we will be able to come together in relationship the way the Lord wants us to. It's impossible. Remember, he said the glory. He said, Father, the glory you've given me, I've given them glory, the grace, the ability. There's a supernatural grace that God will give us to be able to move together in relationship. And see, because the, the kind of relationship we're talking about is not natural, but it's supernatural. But it's walked out naturally. And when, in other words, I'm talking about the kind of relationship where I get to know this brother. And I know his good, his bad, his ugly, his faults and everything. But yet I still love him. I still walk with him. I still accept him. I don't say, ooh, I didn't know you did that. Dude, I'm out of here. I mean, anybody does that, Right? We're okay with people until we see their faults or we don't like the way they comb their hair or whatever it is. And we move away from them. But the love of God, the kind of, the kind of love God has for us is agape, unconditional. That's the kind of love that will flow through us. Because the Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
is that kind of love that when the world sees us living that out with each other, they're going to say, whoa, that's different. Look, those two people are from totally different backgrounds, totally different nationalities, totally different whatever. And yet look at the way they relate to each other. Look at the way they get along. That's what's going to draw their attention. That's what's going to make them realize. Remember in Matthew chapter 5 or 16, it says, let your light shine before men in such a way. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works, but glorify God. Not they see your good works and glorify you. They see your good works and good works and glorify God. So there is a way for that to happen. And I believe a tremendous key is the love of God being shared amongst us. When I spend time with the Lord in his presence, I will begin to understand more of how much he loves me. I begin to love him more back. I begin to say, man, God, you're so awesome. I want, I just want to get closer to you. And as we're in his presence and we're getting to know him and he begins to lovingly show us the things that he's wanting to deal with. This thing right here in your life, I want that. I want that to be gone. I want you to let me deal with that. Lord, whatever you say, yes. Yes, Lord. That that self-righteous attitude you have, I want you to let me deal with that. Yes, Lord. Whatever. So when we submit to him, we're, we're walking with him. Because in his presence, you realize more and more how much he loves you. And I know that sounds so cliche. But when you're in his presence and you're experiencing his love, it's not cliche. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you. All of us, we have to be in his presence. We have to make it a regular part of our lives. I'm not talking about the kind of thing, oh, I didn't spend time with the Lord this morning, so I'm a no good, low down heathen. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about letting condemnation come and crush you because you didn't spend time with the Lord. But I would encourage you to say, Lord, I want your grace. And you know what? That's what I've been saying this week, last couple of weeks. Father, I want your grace to spend more time with you. I want your grace to spend more time with you. I want your grace. I still struggle. And I'm about to confess something. As a pastor, you may think, man, CJ, as a pastor, you can spend all the time with the Lord you want because you ain't got nothing else to do. (laughs) If I just sit around a church for hours, eight hours and just spend time with God, not. And I was telling a friend this week, I said, you know, I thought or, you know, before I worked on staff at the church, I thought, man, if I can just work full time, then, man, I I have all kinds of time to spend with the Lord. But do you realize that we on staff, ministers, whatever, we get just as busy and carried away with busyness and activities and people and that kind of thing as well. And all that stuff, if you're not careful, it'll just snuff out your relationship with God, your time with him, your quiet time with him. Isn't that right, Pastor Dill? And so we have to be intentional. I have to carve out time to spend with him. If I do not, it won't happen. And so we're in the same boat. You can tell me, well, CJ, you don't understand. I work a full-time job. But the point I'm trying to say is that all of us are in the same condition as we're all busy. 
And we're all doing important things. It's not that what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing. We're all doing important things, but we have to carve out time. It's just like you men who are married. You know good and well, if you do not carve out time with your children or you don't carve out time with your wife, time will go by. It's like, oh my goodness, I haven't even played with my kids or I haven't spent time with my wife. It'll just, life will just carry you away, won't it? So we have to be intentional. We have to be definite and say, Lord, I am going to spend time with you. I thank you for your grace. And so I ask him for grace. Say, thank you for grace. And grace is the ability. It's God's empowerment for you to do his will. And so I ask him for that. And I would encourage you to ask him for grace. Because trying it in your own will power is, you know, you can go so long and then you kind of fall off it. Let that be one of your prayers. So that's the first hindrance that will keep us from developing a culture of honor is not spending time in the Lord's presence, not spending time with him. And what I mean by that is prayer and time in his word. Because that's what we're transformed. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's going to renew our mind? God's word. So we have to spend time in his word. We have to. Now, I'm only talking to those who... It's not optional for you to move in God's will. That is your passion. That is your, your, your direction. And so if that's you, then these are the things we have to do. Otherwise, we won't be able to make it. Spending time with the Lord. Second one. Matthew chapter 22. You don't have to turn there. Remember when, when someone asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in, let's see, where's it at? Luke chapter 10, when a lawyer says, actually, I'm going to read that. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And it says, and a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And Jesus, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. With all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And then so Jesus goes on and on. He shares the story of the Good Samaritan where this guy was traveling. He was beaten, left for dead. And um, a Levite and a priest both come by and they see him and they go on the other side of the road and they leave him there. And then a Samaritan comes, sees the man, puts him on a donkey, takes care of him. Takes him to the inn, the hotel, gets him all fixed up and, and leaves money to have this guy taken care of. And then Jesus said, now, which one in the story was the neighbor? And they said, the good Samaritan or the Samaritan. And he said, right, now go and do likewise. So this is an example of what it means to love somebody. Right. We all get that. Right. But here's the interesting part. When it says love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus is implying that you love yourself. So if you don't love yourself, then how are you going to love your neighbor? So my question to you is, how are you loving you?
Are you accepting of yourself? And just think about it right now. Think about how do I feel about myself? How do you talk to yourself? How do you talk to other people about yourself? And I'm sure you can think of your, not just your shortcomings. I mean, you know, not the things you struggle with, but I'm talking about your physical attributes. That makes you think of yourself a certain way. Have you forgiven yourself for things that you know you've done that were not right? Because here's the deal. How am I going to be able to love people if I don't love me? And to the extent that I love myself and accept myself and forgive myself, that's the extent I'm going to be able to love other people. If I'm self-condemning, unforgiving of me, I can never forgive myself for that. I will never forgive myself for that. Then how are you going to forgive other people? See, this is a big issue. You know, self-esteem is not just some little, oh, well, that's not that big a deal. As long as I love other people, you can't. Not really. I mean, you can love them superficially. And we're all used to that. We're good at that. Right? But to the extent that I really love myself is the extent that I'm going to be able to love other people. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so that picture of the Good Samaritan, what he did, you know, he, the, um, he poured in the oil and the wine, he bound him up, he, he helped him. The love that he lavished on that man. That's how you're supposed to treat yourself. And I know this is a big issue. It's a big deal. There can be things about ourselves that we don't uh, like or appreciate. You know, growing up, my issue or my deal was being skinny. I'm not anymore, but hey. You know, since I didn't know, I must have had a, a, an awareness problem where I couldn't see that well. But people would let me know. Man, you're skinny. Really? I remember in the church here, and, and this, this self-esteem issue, this problem I had, I mean, this, this came up into adulthood. Yeah, that's how I felt at times. Just scream my head off. And I remember a lady here at church. This is many years ago. This is while I was still in college. And this lady doesn't go to church anymore, so you don't know her. But um, I remember she'd tell me, I don't know why she felt it was her calling in life. But she'd say, man, you're skinny. And what I wanted to say was, yeah, and you're ugly, but I can gain weight. <laughs> 
And I said, that's what I wanted to say. I was thinking those thoughts. But I didn't. See, that was, a, that was a big deal to me. You know, when she said, man, you're skinny. That was very hurtful. It cut. I was aware of my size. Very aware of my size. I wasn't pleased with my size. I wasn't happy. See, as a man, we want to be, you know, big and buff. Right, men? I mean, that's, that's the projection. That's the image that's in our society. So we want to be, you know, of good size. I have the height, but that's all I got. I don't have the rest of it. And so it was a big deal to me because all growing up through my life, I was skinny. I was told I was skinny. Man, you're skinny. You're skinny. You're skinny. And, and so I wanted to do something about that. And so um, Mr. Joe Whiter was going to be my salvation. You know that? Remember that weight gain? Remember that, guys? That stuff, that weight gain, that powder, twenty nine ninety five. Get this gallon of weight gain. And, of course, you had the picture of this guy that's, you know, this big old on the picture of this thing. So I thought, that's it. So when I was going to college, I, you know, I began to work out and begin to drink the weight gain. This nasty stuff. You had to choke it down with a glass of milk or whatever. You can tell it worked. <laughs> I don't know how many gallons of that stuff I bought and consumed. The only thing I got from that was a bad case of gas. <laughs> So I was working out, and I guarantee you did not want to be around me when I drank that stuff. It's over $29.95. I finally wised up and quit. Quit wasting my money on that. But, you know, that, that was a real big deal to me. It was an issue. And I could ignore it until somebody would remind me. And it's like, man. And so I didn't realize it later, but... The Lord started dealing with me about this. Because what I began to learn and realize is that if I have a problem with myself, not accepting me the way I am by, you know, God's design. I mean, obviously, this is the way he designed me because I tried otherwise. It didn't work. But if I can't accept this for me and love me, then how am I going to love you? So I'm going to judge you with the same standard that I judge myself. Your physical appearance isn't matching up. It's not lining up. So therefore, you need to change before I accept you. That's what I was saying to myself. I mean, subconsciously. I wouldn't consciously say in this. And then what the Lord began to show me, too, is that eventually <clears throat> I was going to have a problem with him. There's going to become this underlying bitterness that was going to grow and grow and grow. Oops, that's mine. Towards God. Because ultimately, who's responsible for my design? So if I don't accept me, then who's eventually going to get the brunt of my bitterness? So how can I keep the first and second commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And neighbors yourself. If I don't love myself. How can I love God with everything in me if I'm not content with how he made me? It's not going to happen. How valuable are you? How valuable are you? How valuable do you see yourself? If you were to be honest... 
Many of you would say, not very. You know, we put up with ourselves. I'm going to answer the question, how valuable you are. With the answer that you gave me earlier, when I asked you, how valuable is the blood of Jesus? What was the word I got? Priceless. And I think that that blood, that precious stuff, that priceless stuff was shed, was poured out for you. Let me ask you this question again. How valuable are you? So when you want to think, how does God see me? How priceless, how valuable does God see me? Not how you see you. Just remember that shed blood of Jesus. When God looks at you, he says, you were worth it. So when you say, I'm not worth it, you are arguing with God. You're calling God a liar. Now, I hope this is cutting deep in your heart because it's, it's meant to not to bring hurt or shame, but so God can bring healing because this is an issue. This is a big issue that we have to deal with. And I told you as an adult, I, I struggled with this. And I remember I get I remember just talking to God about it, spending time with like, man, Lord, this is this is hurtful. I hate when people tell me how skinny I am. I hate it. And I'm sure you could think of something about you that, that people seem to want to bring to your attention. And it doesn't bring joy at all. Inside it just cuts. Now, of course, you may make some joke about it. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Ha, ha. You know, that kind of thing. But inside you're just dying. And that's how I felt. But you know what happened? I remember spending time with the Lord. And one day he, he told me. And showed me how my design fit perfectly into his kingdom purposes. And he told me something specifically. I thought, dude, that is awesome. I never thought of that. He's like, that's why I told you. But then I realized, wait a minute, this is on purpose. It's what an accident. There is a purpose. There is an intent. Part of my calling, part of his purpose for me. And when I grabbed a hold of that, it's like, wow. And he spoke that to me as I was spending time with him. As I was hanging out with him. As I was struggling. And he began to show me this from that point on. It began to change. I still tried to put on weight. Believe me, I eat my share of food. If you don't believe me, invite me over for dinner. I would love to demonstrate. It just doesn't happen. High metabolism or whatever. Lisa's tried. She's my favorite cook. And guess what? You'll be proud of me. Since I've been married for 22 years, now I've put on 15 pounds. But as I begin to accept the way God has made me, 
I find it easier for me to accept the way God's made you. And I can love people for who they are simply because they're precious and valuable, priceless to God. So if we don't allow the Lord to deal with this issue in our hearts, then our relationships are going to stay superficial. They're going to stay shallow. And then we're going to miss out on the fullness of the glory of God that he wants in our lives. Imagine for one minute with me, just imagine, dream with me. For one week, we all loved ourselves the way God loves us. Imagine the impact that could have. Think it would make a difference? I have some more to share, but I'm not going to get into the next ones because I don't want to. Uh, I want to give them the time they need. But would you stand with me? I'm going to close. Now you can. There are some wonderful resources. Some wonderful books written by godly men and women concerning self-esteem, concerning us, how we see ourselves and everything. And, and I would encourage you, if this is an issue with you, to begin to, to look for things like that. But one thing I just want you to remember. And all this week, I want you to say this to yourself over and over and over as much as you think about it, as much as you can. You say, I'm worth the blood of Jesus. As far as God's concerned, I am worth the blood of Jesus. Now, is that a truth you would agree with? I mean, do you agree with that? I mean, because I don't want any mind manipulations or are you just saying. But I mean, if you really believe that. I'm not saying you really believe that about yourself. I'm not talking about that yet. I'm just talking about that as far as God's concerned. Because he shed the blood of his son for you and me. And we know that. The Bible teaches that. And so what I want to encourage you to do is just begin to say that. Begin to speak that truth over yourself. I am worth the blood of Jesus. And remember how valuable you said the blood of Jesus was. Priceless. So then you can say... To God, I am priceless. I am priceless to God. I am priceless to God. And I want to encourage you, as you receive the grace of God, to spend time with Him this week. And we're going to pray in a second. Just spend time with Him. Let Him talk to Him about the issue or the issues that you have. God, I'm not happy with my size, or I'm not happy with, with this. Talk to Him about it. Let Him minister to you. Because he wants to. Let's pray.